This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What's up, y'all? It's your host, Will, coming back for a new episode of the Hunt Sam Podcast, powered by 10-Point Crossbows, the leader of crossbow technologies for over 25 years. On this week's episode, we are going to be talking to Josh Honeycutt, our very own, about how he put an arrow through a giant early season Kentucky bruiser buck with his phase four. So I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty about it because we're going to let Josh tell his story Things leading up to the shot, the shot, and post-shot. Just things that are going through his head, strategy, and just talk through some things. We may go down some rabbit holes, but you never know. Last week, I was very reluctant and blessed to shoot my first velvet buck in Kansas. So if you want to hear about that, you can rewind last week to our Live in Deer Camp Kansas podcast we did with Cody Butler, Taryn Bauer, and we even got camera guy Logan Brecht on. So if you want to hear about that, rewind to last week. But we're going to talk to Josh this week and just get the DL, get the skinny on what happened. I want to know I want to know all the details, the dirty details of what happened, how it happened, and just hear an awesome story on a giant Kentucky buck going down. The Hunt Stand team has got a very strong start to this deer season. So not to put Mr. Josh Dalkey on the hot seat, but brother, the pressure is on, man. I know you're listening to this, so hopefully your face isn't getting too red right now. But nonetheless, we just want to thank all y'all for tuning in to the Hunt Stand Podcast. We really appreciate the support. We couldn't be where we are today without all of y'all. Please rate, review, subscribe, follow the podcast on whatever listening platform you're on. If you got ideas for podcasts, we'd love to know. I'd love to hear it. I'm going to drop my email down in the podcast description below. We'd love to hear from y'all. And if you haven't yet, make sure you got the HuntStand app downloaded. We got free, pro, and then new last year, we got pro whitetail. And in fact, Josh Honeycutt, Josh Dalkey, and myself have already been using this thing religiously this season. And I can say for myself that the whitetail activity forecast is spot on when it comes to when that activity is going to kick off. And uh, there's a velvet bug to prove it. So 
If you want to know more about it, make sure you upgrade today to unlock all the features of HuntStand. Thanks again for tuning in. I'm going to quit talking, and here's our guy, Josh Honeycutt. God dang. I'm talking. <sighs> he's not. He, he's all right. He's all right. Dude. He, he looks pretty. He looks pretty to me. Oh, my gosh. Look at the freaking mass right there, dude. Yep. And if he hadn't had this damage right there, he like hit that in velvet, damaged oh. it. He'd have, he'd, have, he'd have been a little bigger because this beam right here was only 19 inches and this one here was 23. So, Dude, he looks way bigger than that. Yeah. Well, see, the deer has the points and the mass to mm -hmm. be really giant, but he did not have the, I don't know, the... The frame for it, I guess. What was because he's only he's only sixteen and a half inches wide. What was the mass at his bases? So he has four over forty inches of mass. So he was like five and a half here. He was like basically five, averaged out five for each measurement. Now, I was really conservative, so the deer might be bigger than. I mean, I know how to score deer, mm -hmm. but I was really, really conservative, like. I didn't want to overscore him, so he might be over 170. But problem is, so like where he gets really good on his mass, you know, is out here at the end. Yeah. And out here on the end, and that he don't get that mm. in the scoring because you only you know you only get four mass measurements. So one, two, three, and four. Um, you know, he don't get any of this massive stuff out here on the end that doesn't even, you know, from from here, from here out doesn't even count toward his score. That's and like and like so if that technically that pro I don't I don't know if this is gonna count as a I think that's gonna that's not gonna count as a G five. I think that's gonna end up being a extra point because of the yeah. way it sets on the beam. I don't know. That one will. That'll be a G five because it's well, I don't know. I think on uh, on that right side, when you had him turned and I could see from the inside of him what you said like so see there it looks like it comes off the main beam in that yeah other one looks like that's the extra point but when you flip them back around it's it's opposite yeah yeah it's weird he's kind of a weird looking deer i mean Jeez. i'll take him whatever he is but i wish yeah. i had my deer with me well so my tax the tax service that i go to he uh uh he prefers that people take their racks home with them now that way he don't have to store them and apparently People aren't up his butt to get their deer done if they keep the rack with them. Spilled my coffee. Hadn't even sat down. No shit. Right. The whole cup? Okay. No, oh. just a little bit. Just a little dribble. Just a little dribble. Yeah, just a little dribble. Nothing, nothing, nothing terrible. Yeah. What we're here for is to talk about your Kentucky Bruiser, man. I mean. Tell us, like, just tell us everything leading up to it. Yeah. You know, it, it's uh, it's just one of those things where, you know, this is a deer that I had on camera for uh, three years, I guess. The first, he, he was a, this year he was four and a half years old. And that's him right back there. But oh, yeah. um, he was four and a half year old deer this year. So it wasn't super old. Um, but, uh, you know, started getting him on camera at two and a half. And three like again last year three and a half no. and this is actually him i got a picture of him you wouldn't recognize i mean you recognize him but he, he put on so much um put on so much antler from last year to this year 
Um, so this was him last year at three and a half here. Seriously. So yeah, so he was and 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 I can probably send that to you. So if 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 you need a little better image of it. But anyway, he put on a lot of inches from last year, this year. And we actually um, you know, of course at two and a half, we really wasn't paying much attention to him. Uh, last year we were like, mm, that's a nice deer. He could turn into something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we actually, you know, me and the, the couple of guys that I hunt with and uh, as well as some of our neighbors, we kind of all talked and agreed. Yeah, we need to let that deer go and see what he turns out to be this year. You know, give him one more year. And so so it's actually it's actually kind of sad, uh, sad and funny. So I, I was taking a youth hunter last year and on that property and i told him i was like you can he never shot a deer uh never never been deer hunting before yeah um and we ended up going about five times before we finally got one but but anyway before we went i told him i was like you can shoot any deer we see except for one (laughs) there's one deer that you cannot shoot um simply because i've talked with you know the the people i hunt with and as well as some of the neighbors and everybody's kind of agreed that this deer can't get shot this year so so of course that's the first deer that we see that's how it happened the first and and, and of course i couldn't let him shoot him because i'd already given my word to everybody that the deer would live so i felt like an absolute dog turd but it eventually worked out because he ended up getting a nice four and a half five and a half year old deer that had a little bit of a drop time on one side so it it all worked out for him but uh so yeah I, i called a youth hunter off this deer and so that probably makes me look really bad but um it is merely because i told everybody that you know everybody had agreed that nobody would shoot it so it's part of being a good neighbor man it's hard to do sometimes well i guess you could say it ended up working out for me um you know i still feel a little bad about that but uh like i said he ended up getting a more mature deer and a bigger deer the deer he ended up killing was was a better a better buck than this one was last mm-hmm. year so um it, it was a, it was a cool hunt he actually i actually filmed that hunt uh, uh uh this past year and so it was it was pretty cool but yeah um but anyway so fast forward to this season and uh kentucky had a change in the regulations so you couldn't start feeding uh, deer until august 1st and so i just kind of held off on putting my cameras out you know we could still uh, per some people's uh interpretation of the new law uh, you could still put out mineral but it, it was kind of gray so i just kind of waited and got my cameras out later this year than i typically do i started getting pictures of this deer around early to mid-august um immediately knew what deer it was um, he has these split g4s that make him well, last year they were split. Like you can see, that's still kind of a split. Might be yeah. considered a G5. On this side, you know, it kind of went from being a split to just a, a G5. But but definitely could tell it was the same deer. We'll try to set back up here without without absolutely destroying everything back here. Such a Maybe it'll work. No, 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 no. There we go. <laughs> And, um, but anyway, that kind of was kind of a really recognizable trait with that deer. And so immediately knew what deer it was, um, just a really, you know, just a great deer and super excited that he'd come back and he was really a, a homebody. So yeah. he's, he lived there like the least that we have there is 200 acres and, and, and he pretty much just lives there period. Um, very loyal, um, very unpredictable deer, but very loyal to the area that he lives in. Uh, that's kind of contradictory in a little bit in one sense, but, but, but those two truths can be, can be, you know, can, can, can occur simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but anyway, so he, uh, 
He was very, very inconsistent, though, as far as where he would move and when he would move. Um, he did not like to move much in daylight. I never actually saw him preseason. I spent a little bit of time trying to glass him um, before the season opened up. Never could get eyes on him. Um, ended up getting only probably from the middle of August until whenever I shot the deer. And I'm going to pull up my calendar here because it ended up being kind of an interesting sequence of events. But it ended up, I think it ended up shooting that deer last Tuesday. So that would have been September 12th. Yeah. And we didn't end up. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah. And so I ended up giving that deer um, overnight. I didn't actually find the deer until a little after midnight because I wasn't sure about the shot opportunity. Turned out the shot wasn't that bad, but um, it was pretty good. Uh, had a little bit of a deflection on the arrow, but he, he died quickly. He only ran 70 yards and fell over. But so from middle of August to last Tuesday on the 12th, so roughly a month, um, I think I only had probably three, maybe four daylight afternoon appearances um in legal shooting light um he ended up being um in just in random locations too because i had a lot of cameras out on that property um and so so i was able to kind of cover it well but he, he's just just here today there tomorrow so i really didn't think that i would have a chance at this deer that quickly um you know especially i thought it might take a little longer into the season to to get the deer but um, once the season actually opened and it opened this year on September uh, 2nd, Saturday, September 2nd, from that point until this past, uh, Tuesday on the 12th, whenever I shot him, he ended up being in daylight, I think twice. So, um, it, I think he come in in daylight on September the 6th, the Wednesday, and then on that Tuesday, the 12th, the only two afternoon, the two daylight appearances that I had in the afternoon for them. He was kind of a morning deer. I had a little bit more activity of him for the of a morning, but but we, which is typical this time of year because it's hot. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so I just didn't expect to really have a chance at him because it was one of those deals where he'd maybe make a daylight appearance one time a week, and you know to 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 feel like i have good odds i feel like that deer needs to be making a, a daylight appearance at once every two to three days because especially in a situation where you don't have good entry or exit which i had a really good entry but very poor exit because i can only access the property from the southwest corner and that's really good for entry but it's awful for exit yeah and so um i thought i was like man if i don't get this deer on the first or second try he's not i'm not going to get him because mm-hmm. he's going to catch on to me um and so it eventually led to a, a a pretty interesting deal, which I don't know if I told you about this or not, but I ended up actually sleeping in the tree stand one night to keep from spooking this deer. Dude, I heard you say something yeah. about that, or it was on your Instagram caption or something. I'm like, yeah. I want to know. I want to know this. Yeah. So I hunted the deer opening after opening morning. I actually took my little cousin deer hunting. He, he's he's killed a couple deer, but he's never killed one with a bow. So we yeah. got him his first buck with a bow that opening morning. And then I went. Yeah to hunt this deer that opening afternoon didn't see him he actually the two bucks that he's been running with all summer long bachelor uh bachelor group they came in um but he didn't so and he actually i think came out of velvet either september 1st or september 2nd i think Mm -hmm. he was just off somewhere rubbing that stuff off but um so i didn't actually hunt the deer again so i I finished that hunt and i spooked a bunch of deer coming out like just like just deer blowing everywhere because i had to and 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 i had no choice just the way i have to access this property and the way the 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 farmer had planted the crops this year and where the timber was at and where the bedding and the feeding was at just the orientation of everything just wasn't good and i can't get access through the neighbors because they hunt too and of course i don't want to mess their hunting up so um 
it was one of those things where I, I, I spooked a bunch of deer. Don't know if I spooked him or not because I never did see him, but I, I, I think he was off somewhere. So I don't think I spooked him that afternoon, whenever that evening when I come out on the second. But I didn't actually hunt deer again for a week because um, I didn't have the right wind direction. So the, the, the few times that the deer did actually come in daylight, both preseason and during the season, um, the wind was blowing a particular direction. He, he, he preferred to come in there on certain winds. Basically, you didn't have to have it in his nose, but he needed to have at least a quartering wind or crosswind, you know, in his favor. So as we as we talk about all the time, both in podcasts and articles and videos, you know, that just off wind that we call it, that's the yeah. term we use. Um, uh, he would not come in unless he had that. And so um, he, he, he and, and he also wouldn't come in because it was so hot um, unless the conditions uh, were, were good. So when he came in on the 6th, which was the Wednesday, so I hunted him on Saturday afternoon, the 2nd, didn't see him. He come in on that six, the 6th, a few days later, but the wind was right for him to come in. And we had a temperature drop um, and it was raining. So it was cloudy. It was raining. And it was even, you know, it was, it was cooler. And so the conditions are right for him to come in. I was like, man, if I get that again, I've got to get back in there. So I waited. Uh, well, tried to wait. I didn't. I tried to wait. So I went on the 8th, which was the right wind, but we didn't have uh, a really good temperature drop uh, on that day, on the 8th. Um, you know, you know, checking, you know, the hunt stand, uh, whitetail forecast, you know, it wasn't as high of a percentage day as it ended up being the day that I killed him, which was a few days later on the 12th. Yeah. And so that, that, that is a very good tool that anybody out there, if they haven't started using that with white, so with, with their uh, hunt stand whitetail pro, um, subscription, uh, or pro whitetail, sorry. Uh, then it's definitely a beneficial tool and it's accurate too. Um, oh, because yeah. this deer is, it was a funny, whenever I went back through and looked at the days that he would daylight, he would daylight on those high percentage days. Um, and so, so it's, it is an accurate tool for sure, as we already knew, but just an example, an anecdotal experience for me on my part, uh, to, to, you know, support that. But, um, yeah, it was interesting because so he came in on the sixth, could you know, I wasn't there. Um, and and then so I went on the eighth and actually saw the deer. So hunted him on the second, didn't see him. Uh, he was there on the sixth, I wasn't, hunted him on the eighth. He actually circled around behind me and came out in the soybean fields, but didn't so I was facing up into the timber up toward the bedding area. And I kind of I was kind of I was hunting over a bait pile, as they'll see eventually in the video. You know, we yeah. can do that here in our part of Kentucky. So um, I was hunting over a corn pile, but it was kind of a staging area where they come down out of the bedding area into that little staging area, corn pile area, then go on out into the beans. And But he didn't do that on, on the 8th. Instead, he came further to the north, circled out into the beans and come in behind me. And he actually come in about 15 yards behind me and started feeding on a uh, persimmon tree oh, um and so I, I couldn't get a shot at him because i was up in a cedar tree mm -hmm. um just i prefer that for the cover both visually and, and scent and you know wind wise and uh couldn't get a shot at him even though he's 15 yards away and so he went on down into the beans and of course i kept my eyes on him, trying to figure out which way he went because eventually i was going to get down and try to get out without spooking him and I kept looking to the north, kept looking to the south. Deer were just out everywhere from end to end, one end of the property to the other. And and he kind of looked the last time I saw him, he was right down in the middle, kind of where everything converges, where you have to kind of to go through to get back to where I was parked at. The truck was. And so I was like, I don't know. There's there's no way I can get out of here without spooking him. And so, um, you know, I sat there for a couple of hours just trying to figure out what to do after it got dark. And um, eventually I was like, I'm just going to sit here all night. 
That's the only option I've got. I'm going to have to sit here. I'm going to have to sit here and I'll hunt in the morning, you know, and then I'll leave. Um, because he was actually coming in on a little bit more of a morning than an, of an afternoon. And so really? I was like, there's an off chance he might come in in the morning. Um, you know, but that wasn't the primary reason that I was there. It was just, just to not spook him. Um, because he was basically going right back down toward where my truck was at, you know, five, six, seven, 800 yards away. Of course. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, I'm, if, and if I don't spook him directly, I'm going to spook other deer and they're going to spook him indirectly. And, you know, that has almost, can have almost as great of an effect on, them. um, you know, sometimes depending on the situation. So anyway, on the eighth, I ended up, you know, sleeping in the tree stand and hunted the next morning and, and then came home. But, um, I didn't hunt again until the 12th, which was a few days after that. And, you know, we had a really good temperature drop that day. Uh, had a cold front that pushed through. I think it's actually the same cold front that, that you killed your deer on in yep. Kansas the, the day before. It just took a little bit longer to reach Kentucky because we're obviously further east. But mm-hmm. um, we had a really nice cold front that moved through, nice temperature drop. Didn't really rain that much. I think it might have sprinkled a little bit. Um uh, but, uh, but, you know, it was just the conditions and we had a, a little, little bit different wind direction than he typically used, um, to, to come in there. But I was like, I still got to hunt it because, you know, I was looking at the white till the forecast and it was like, it was a really good day to go. Had a really good temperature drop, cold front, you know, just gotta be out there. Yeah. And so, um, e- even though he didn't have the wind that he preferred, what I ended up realizing after I, you know, uh, I, I hunted that afternoon, ended up shooting the deer, um, I went back through and I looked, I was like, it was like the wind in that particular spot wasn't, it it was, it was kind of weird. Um, and this is a prime example of how topography can impact wind direction. Um, so it wasn't actually blowing the way it was technically forecasted to blow quite as accurately. It was still kind of close, but kind of off. Um, and so even though that wind direction was still kind of slightly off of what I was thinking it was going to be via forecast, um it was it was simply because of the way the terrain impacts the wind there and it kind of creates like a funneling and out effect almost like it swirls a little bit then shoots out um because of the topography and that's that's something that um i did not realize because i had not hunted that particular spot so much in the past i've hunted close to it but not that exact spot and wind can be very very different 10 15 20 yards from this point to that point oh yeah yeah, as as we all know. So um that's a stand location that I did not hunt until this year. Mm-hmm. And so it took me a few sits, three sits to realize, man, the wind it almost blows in the same direction right here, regardless of what the wind direction is, you know, unless you have a really, really stiff wind direction that's like 10 plus miles an hour, eight plus miles an hour. Yes. Uh, and it's because of the terrain. Um, now, now it's not always in the same direction, but it's almost like it's either blowing, blowing southeast or northwest, one or the other. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you got more of a southerly wind, it's blowing southeast. You know, if it's got a northerly wind, it's blowing northwest. And and it's because of the way the topography, I guess, is the, my, the only thing it did. I didn't think that the topography would impact it quite as much. But um, since then, I've been out there a few days since I shot that that deer in, in a couple of days, and I've tested it even then, and it, it's still holding up true. So the good news, though, when it, in my opinion, when it comes to studying those the, the wind directions is once you become familiar with the partic- how a wind behaves in a particular spot on your property, you can look at the forecast. And even if the forecast isn't telling you, isn't completely accurate for that particular location because of how the topography impacts it, you can still know what it's going to be doing in that spot 
based on what the actual forecast tells you. So the forecast is still relevant, obviously, as far as the wind direction goes. Yeah. Um, you know, so so you still want to pay attention to that because, you know, the forecast might say it's blowing north, but because of the way the topography is, it might be just northwest um, or west-northwest mm-hmm. because of the way the topography can influence that. So that's a lesson uh, that I guess I relearned on this year. I already knew that, but it was something that kind of reiterated it because I was paying a lot of attention to it for this particular deer. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you a question with the spending the night in the stand. You know, there's a lot of guys that, you know, I've done this before too, you know, you You'll, if you get covered up in deer like that at night and you don't want them to associate you getting out of the stand and such, you would rather have them get spooked at, say, a coyote howl, or you might do mm-hmm. a doe blow at them. I mean, did why didn't you do either of those? Was it because what you were talking about, how if you spook other deer that it could have a pretty impactful effect on him? Yeah. So, I mean, I've done that before, um, you know, bark like a dog. If there's a lot of neighborhood dogs nearby, yeah. you know, tried to match stuff. Or if there's a heavy coyote population, how like a coyote, like you said, I've done that. Um, you know, I, I, well, I guess the major reason is I knew because that deer is already kind of going in the direction that I had to exit. And so I knew he was going to continue in that direction because there was bedding cover in that direction too it mm-hmm. just wasn't bedding cover that he was using you know timbered area it yeah. just it wasn't something that he was using right now in the fall he'll, he he historically used that area but in the summer he didn't and so i knew i was going to continue he wasn't going to come back toward me at that point because he was already about 200 300 yards down into the beans going in the direction that i had to and everything converges on the property there and so you're funnel through there you have to go through there and so he was probably going to go run right through there and might have even went to exactly to where my truck was at oh geez where it was parked at and so so i thought about doing that but i ended up not because of simply of where i thought he was going to end up running after mm-hmm. you know i did something like that he could have circled back up and come back up you know and you know come back into toward his bedding uh you know further north or further south of me and circled back in and around but at that point it was so dark i couldn't tell which way he went anyway so yeah. i just decided to do the insane thing and and, and it literally would have been if, if i hadn't killed the deer i would have just been some insane deer hunter but because i ended up eventually <laughs> killing the deer i can tell you about it right now yeah so so so, so if i hadn't killed the deer you would have never heard about that story you would have never known that i slept in the tree stand now. what of well, course what was it like sleeping in the tree? Like, do you have to like cinch up your your safety harness a little bit extra? Yeah. Did you put like well, a belt a good, in or something? Yeah, that's a good point. I don't advise it to anybody because it's really <laughs> not the safest thing in the world to do. Um, but I did take precautions. I mean, I obviously had my safety harness. You know, I was tied into the tree. But you go to sleep in a tree stand and you can you know fall out even if you got your safety harness on. So what I yeah. ended up doing is I ended up taking straps around the tree trunk and around my torso. And again, I'm not advising anybody to do this. I'm not giving safety advice, so don't take it as that. Uh, but that's what I ended up doing mm-hmm. and just wrap, wrapping straps. That way, I you know if I lean to the after I lean to the right, you know, I couldn't, you know, I wouldn't fall out, you know, the strap would catch me. Um, and, and so I had that on in addition to my safety harness. But again, I don't advise any of that to anybody. No, <laughs> I'm just stupid. I'm just, stu- I'm just stupid enough to do it. We're just deer so, hunters, man. We love deer. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the big question, I feel like a lot of people are going to ask, did you actually sleep or was it kind of one of those where you were awake till say one or 2 AM and finally just dozed off? Yeah, it was the worst sleep of my life. Now, I mean, there's some <laughs> tree stands that you could you could be comfortable in, like you know, if you got a really nice uh, climbing stand or something like that, or a nice or ladder. 
a nice ladder that hugs you, you know, you got the shooting rail that comes over, you know, mm-hmm. and just, you know, some depending on the, it really depends on the seat, if the seat's really good or not. Um, yeah, I, it was, it wasn't a bad tree. It was a fairly new tree stand, but it was a hang on yeah. and, and it was just not comfortable. Like it was, I kind of jammed it up in a cedar tree. And so, I, I mean, I had a limb that was like, poking right at the bottom of my butt crack on the underneath the seat you know and so it's just like not comfortable at all yeah sorry i don't know if i can say butt crack on oh yeah yeah you can (laughs) but i want to i want to know like what was your wife's initial reaction when you're like hey uh not coming home tonight i'm sleeping in the tree because i don't want to scare this deer out yeah yeah so I, i i texted her and i was like am I crazy? Dot, dot, dot. And she was like, well, I already knew you were crazy, but what are you asking? You know? And, and, and that was before I told her what I was doing. And, um, she was like, yeah, you're crazy. You know, we already, we already confirmed that. But, uh, uh, you know, if you think this is going to help you eventually kill the deer, then, you know, then do it. So, um, so she was completely <laughs> supportive of it. Uh, she thought it was funny and stupid and, and so did I, but you know, it, eventually you know we'll never know for sure if it had a direct link or not but i know i didn't spook that deer that night watch so. we're gonna have youtube reviews coming out from dudes like things to take in your pack so you can sleep in your tree stand now because of this <laughs> yeah well i actually can't say that i it was my original idea mm-hmm. uh bill winky which who he, you know he does the deer dirt uh video yeah. series on on huntstand.com you know and i've known bill for years and years and uh i'll never be the deer hunter he is but i've definitely tried to take note from some of the things that he's done throughout the years and learn yeah. from him uh, which there's plenty of opportunities to do that uh because he's a he's a wealth of knowledge and he's forgotten more about deer hunting than i'll ever know but he uh he, you know he there was a deer he killed i think it was either last season or the season before where he ended up sleeping in his tree or not in his tree stand but at the base of his tree which is a much safer option uh <laughs> than sleeping in your tree stand yeah that's again, true I do not advise i do not advise uh but i there were so many deer in there in the area there's a reason i didn't sleep at the bottom of the tree is just because uh, a deer would have came up and probably sniffed my head or something you know just because there's it's a high deer density area yeah but but anyway so so bill he actually he slept at the base of his tree a few times to to end up killing the deer that way he could get in because he didn't have good morning access to get into mm-hmm. that spot without spooking deer and so he slept at the base of the tree so it was a little different scenario but a similar you know end goal yeah so you know i i actually kind of had that thought go through my mind opening day when my buck came into the bean field behind us and the blind we were set up in was just i mean it was a perfect situation because there's a draw that we could have followed out that was directly behind us so Mm-hmm. We had food covering directly in front of us into the, I guess you could say north, south, southeast, but nothing directly south of us. And with that north wind, it was just pushing straight into our face and just going into that draw. Well, mm-hmm. when the buck first came out, he came out from the neighbor's cornfield with, with some does and he starts feeding that bean field and he acted like he's going to go down in that draw. And, mm-hmm. you know, after the couple of years I've had trying to kill a deer out of state, I was like, man, you got to be freaking kidding me. The the one buck that's daylighting right now, he's going to go down on that draw. He's going to spend the whole evening in there. And how are we going to get out of here tonight? And I started to have the thought going through my mind, like we're in a box blind. And I, at one point mm-hmm. I actually looked at Logan, the camera guy, I said, hey, uh, if this deer goes behind us, um, I'm not sure how we're going to get out of here, mm-hmm. but there's a, a, a slight chance that we might stay in this blind till super late or spend the night in it. He's like, what? Mm-hmm. But luckily, I mean, 
lo and behold, deer came up, got water, end of story. Yeah. But uh, what I want to know, talk to us about the kill shot. Talk to us. Buck comes in. You get that chance. And then talk to us. Um, the next talk us through the next few hours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the next few hours or, you know, after that shot, of course, I'm going to get ahead. But anyway, so yeah, the deer comes in, he's on pins and needles as most every mature buck I've ever seen come into a corn pile is, you know, a lot of people think, oh, you Kelly mobile corn pile don't count, you know, Mm -hmm. corn pile bucks don't count, you know, I was like, well, yeah, yeah, they do. But because, you know, it's, if you, a lot of people think that baiting deer is easy. No, and it does it does concentrate deer in regard to to in some sense, but it's not easy. And if you you Mm-mm. can very easily do it incorrectly, yes, um, there is there is a very fine line between baiting deer correctly and absolutely doing it wrong. And so, um, you know, everything from knowing where to put it to how to put it out to when to hunt it to when not to hunt it. And so, there's a lot that goes around. To, that to, to, to bait a deer. And honestly, in my, you could argue that at times makes it more difficult to kill a mature deer, especially if you already have that deer on another pattern without yes. the bait. Yes. Um, because you're concentrating deer. So you've got a lot of eyeballs to deal with and a lot of noses to deal with and a lot of ears to know, to deal with. I mean, the afternoon that I ended up killing that deer, I had like 25 deer around me. Golly. And so that 360. So it was not easy. Um, uh, and, and so, yeah, so when the deer eventually come in, I already had several deer that had come through, um, and passed through and went on out into the beans. Um, and, and he was next. And so he come in on pins and needles. I had to watch him for probably four or five minutes and no telling how long he stayed up in the cedars up mm-hmm. in the timber, just standing there watching. But once I finally saw him about 50, 60 yards, 50, yeah, probably 50 yards away. He, he just stood there and just stared right through me. Like, yeah, he didn't see me, but he was staring right through me. He knew. And so, yeah. And, and so I was like, yeah. And of course, you know, I, I start when I saw him, I immediately grabbed my bow and I self filmed. So I was holding on to the camera with the Lance remote, which, if you ever, anybody out there ever wants to self film, you got to have a camcorder style camera and you got to have a Lance remote that you can run that camera completely with one hand Mm -hmm. because you got to be able to hold your weapon with the left hand and then get back onto the weapon quickly when it's time to shoot. Yep. Um, and, and to do it all with minimal movement. Yep. Cause if you got to run that camera with two hands and then come back over and get the bow or, you know, and get back, it's just, it's just too hard. Yeah. uh, Especially if deer are moving, you know, pretty frequently, they they move slower in the early season and late season. So it's easier than it is say in the rut. Mm -hmm. But, um, but anyway, he comes in, he finally makes it into the corn pile. I'd take up, you know, t- not a completely broadside shot. He was quartering to me just slightly, probably, you know, uh, I would say 90, 92, 93%. Uh, uh, sorry, I got a fly buzzing in here. 90, 92% ish broadside, just barely quartering. And, um, and, and the shot ended up being about 24 yards. And so easy, easy shot, um, ethical shot, in my opinion. And, oh, yeah. um, and so, so I ended up hitting the deer just a little lower than I intended to. Um, I was about, the entry was about three inches, two and a half, three inches above that, that line where you see the the white line and the brown line meet on the fur. Mm-hmm. Uh, and usually if you're an inch above that white line, depending on the angle of the shot, you know, usually you can get enough vitals to, to kill the deer. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was, the entry was, was high enough, but the problem with, with the shot was it ended up going into the deer. And then just before it reached the back, side offside rib cage 
it deflected down and back. And I saw that in the video whenever I was self-filming that it deflected down and deflected back. And it was already a little bit low to begin with. And so I was worried about the shot. So I ended up giving him about almost right at six hours. Um, you know, because whenever I shot, he ran off. He ran about 50 yards and he stopped and then he disappeared. So I didn't know if he fell, if he bedded down, if he took off running again, I couldn't tell. Um, so we gave him the six hours. And of course, I'm freaking out for six hours. So I'm sending... 50,000 different versions of the same screenshot essentially to all my buddies and everybody trying to figure out if it was a, a you know good enough hit or not and <laughs> you know how everybody is when they shoot a big deer you know they're almost uh, for, you know really really on edge at least I am um and, until I you know either find that deer or don't yeah um and then after if if, if I don't find the deer you got to talk me off a ledge and so I was preparing myself for that yeah, but you uh, called me yeah uh man yeah. I, well you know most of the time we text and I see Josh Honeycutt call me. I'm like, wait a minute. He's in a tree stand. Why is he calling me? I'd better take this and start talking to you. And, you know, lo and behold, though, I'll let yeah. you continue the story. I'm a texture and an email guy. Um, but if somebody gets a, gets a phone call for me about an, 30 minutes to an hour before dark, you know, yeah. In deer that's season. What's up. That's <laughs> yeah. what's up. Yeah. That's so if you see up. Honeycutt calling you, answer. Yeah. But they, uh, but no, he, he ended up, it ended up being, even though it did deflect down and back mm -hmm. and it did, it, it come out on the opposite side. It, it, it almost like it hit that opposite rib cage and then deflected downward. Mm -hmm. Um, so it went through the vitals actually ended up clipping the bottom of the heart, the bottom of the right where the heart and the lungs and a bunch of arteries all meet. And, and so it, it did, it did all the damage it needed to. It was, yeah. it was actually a very quick, clean, ethical kill. He, he was only ended up going about 60 to 70 yards. He was just basically took a hard 90 from where mm -hmm. I last saw him, went another 10, 15 yards and fell over. Um, and, and so he was dead within seconds, probably within 30 seconds. Um, but you didn't um, know that till how many hours later? So when we found him six hours later. And, and so I ended up shooting the deer. I think it was around six or six thirty PM mm -hmm. uh, and I'm on central time here. And, uh, we ended up finding him around 1230 AM. But that's, but that's a good thing though. I mean, if, what and, you, and we had a cool night, so I didn't have to worry about right. spoiling or anything like that. So. Well, and when what you did, like it was right. I mean, I think I think when we talked, you had said you'd gotten down, you'd kind of seen blood, and it had stopped about where you had last lost him, and so y'all decided to back out. Which I mean, y'all did the right thing. Yeah, you just never know for sure, and so you just gotta, you just I mean, you just gotta make the best guess you can because obviously, you know the the number one thing is to make sure the deer's down. Uh, uh, you, you don't want to push the deer for mm -hmm. sure because you're going to lose the deer. You don't want to lose the meat. Um, yeah. And so that's all kind of a a, a balancing act because mm -hmm. you don't want to, you don't want, of course, the one thing in Kentucky is, you know, even if you find that deer the way the laws are in Kentucky, if I find that deer after hours and he's still alive, I can't put another arrow in him um, God, to finish tough. him off. That's tough. And so you're almost um you, you can't do anything about it if you come up on that deer until yeah. legal shooting line or start again the next morning um and so you know it, it's just a it's a balancing act between not pushing the deer and you know salvaging meat and of course the, the meat was fine we had a cool evening um it, it wasn't that wasn't an issue at all it ended up being just fine but it, it is something that you know you have to kind of as we all know we have to kind of balance when we're trying to recover a deer that we've shot Absolutely. Tell us uh, what was going through your head as y'all finally went out, went back out there a little after midnight. 
I think you had texted me and Josh and said something like you were going in. Mm-hmm. What went through your head and just describe to us just kind of like what it felt like when y'all went back out there and you found him pretty quick. Like what, how did yeah. that feel? Yeah. So from the time that we started from the point of impact on the shot to where we actually found the deer, it was maybe five minutes, less than five minutes. Jeez. I mean, it was just a spray blood trail. Like, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, I I could have been blind and deaf and still followed it. I mean, I, I could have just walked <laughs> and felt the blood with my hands, you know, all Gosh. the way to the deer, you know, just, just holding it down on the leaves and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, yeah, there's blood, there's blood, there's blood. I mean, it was one of the biggest, probably one of the biggest blood trails I've ever had on a deer. Jeez. But it hit a lot of good stuff down in there whenever you clip. Whenever someone, I, I, I feel dressed him um, and got all the guts out of him. I, I, I looked at the heart. And so, you know how the heart is. It's kind of, you know, pointed at the end and gets bigger at the top, almost yep. like a, like an ice cream cone. Mm-hmm. And so it had actually clipped the bottom of the cone, the bottom of the heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it had went through some of the lung, you know, the, the bottom of the lungs. And so there was just a lot of, uh, and, and there was some arteries that got severed there. So it, it just, it just, it just cut up a whole lot of important stuff there. And so there was a, a massive blood trail. Um, but yeah, it didn't take long to find him less than five minutes, probably three, four or five minutes. And we, we've been able to, we were able to recover him. And I had my dad and a friend of mine that I hunt with, yeah. um, and then they were out there helping me at 1230 AM. So, uh, but, so big thanks to them, but yeah, it was a quick recovery, easy recovery. Uh, and of course we got up on the deer. So it was funny. He ended up, you know, I, I don't really care that much about score. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's never really been something I really care about. You know, I've, I've put a Same. tape on a few of the deer that I've shot. Most of the deer I've shot don't have never, I've never had a tape on them, but yeah. um, uh, you know, he, it was funny because in velvet, which they always look massive in velvet. Oh, yeah. You know how they do, especially on a trail camera in velvet. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and of course, earlier in the season, whenever they're still blood rich, you know, they're even, they appear even more because, it, you know, there's a lot of blood inside of there. And so, mm-hmm. they're, you know, there's a lot more volume. And on, uh, the mass appears to be bigger on some of them, especially some of them. Um, but so, so he ended up being appearing bigger in velvet as typical. And then he come out of velvet. And I was like, man, that deer's not nearly as big as he looked. Um, even, even though he was in velvet, you know, and now he's not, you know, I, uh, and then whenever I come out the afternoon, I was like, oh, he's bigger than I thought he was, you know? And, and then whenever <laughs> yeah. I get up to him and, and I, I picked, you know, picked his rack up, I was like, oh, he's definitely a lot bigger than I thought yeah. he was. Um, and, and then of course we ended up measuring him and I thought he was going to end up going about five or six inches bigger than I, than he ended up actually going mm-hmm. simply because he had a short beam. This beam right here ended up being about four inches shorter than that one mm-hmm. and uh, he damaged this in velvet so if he hadn't damaged that he would have you know pretty much been completely symmetrical on both sides but but yeah and he probably even would have had a little bit of a drop time here next year because he had a little bit of a point there so this is this deer so 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 if you if you manage a thousand acres out there fella guy lady <laughs> and you see this deer at four and a half don't shoot it <laughs> don't shoot it no but but if you're like me and you're a blue collar guy who doesn't have a thousand acres or however many acres, and you see a four and a half year old year old deer that walks through like this and you have 200 acres or less, you kill that thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if, if basically the rule of thumb I live by, if the deer makes you shake or he's going to make you happy, you shoot him. Mm-hmm. Especially where we are in Texas, low fence. We got neighbors mm-hmm. behind us to the south that they shoot anything and everything. Luckily, the yep. guys to the north, they're pretty management-minded. So if you're on the south end of the mm-hmm. property, you see a buck that looks good, you shoot him. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So nothing against neighbors. You know, I'm not talking bad about anybody or anything like that. But like when we first started hunting this particular property about eight, nine ish years ago, maybe 10, somewhere in there, you know, we had a, a hunter to our west and a hunter to our east. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Now we've got a hunter to our west, two hunters to our northwest, one to two hunters to our north, one to two hunters to our northeast, one to two hunters to our east, two hunters to our south. And so that adds up. That's a lot more than three. That's know, a lot of potential baiting stations. Yeah. Well, that and this year it was crickets on walking deer, you know, uh, specifically this deer. You know, I didn't hear from anybody that was willing to let the deer walk. So at that point, I was like, yeah, I guess I'm not either. No, man. Kudos, dude. Freaking awesome deer. Awesome story. What's up next for you this fall? Well, you know, I'm, I'm still hunting with people. I hunt with a lot of people here at home. Yep. Um, so I'll be hunting here in Kentucky with my family uh, as well, sitting in the stands and mm-hmm. blinds with them from time to time. Uh, I'm still got an Ohio tag uh, and Ohio property that I hunt as well as an Indiana tag and Indiana property. So, excuse me, uh, I'll be hunting Ohio and Indiana private land. And then my goal is to hunt some public land again in Tennessee um, this fall. Also, hopefully, hopefully I get an opportunity to do that as well. Heck yeah, dude. Can't wait to see what else you put on the ground, dude. Appreciate well, your time you, today. It, even if I get goose egged and, and skunked for the rest of the season, I, I'll, I'll be happy with it. Dude, that's, that's how I am. I mean, it's, it's pretty nice to, to be able to put deer down this early because then it kind of, it kind of takes the pressure off of you for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. So yeah, cool. it's a good feeling. Kind of enjoy it a little more. Hell yeah, dude. It was a great start for team hunt stand last week. Absolutely. Sweet, dude. Well, man, appreciate your time today, and I can't wait to see this thing come to fruition in video. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. All right, y'all. There you go. That was just a fun podcast to do with Josh, just to talk through everything that happened. And I myself, I don't know if I could have slept up in a tree stand. And we definitely don't advise that you do either. It's not the safest thing. So do what Honeycutt and I talked about a little bit earlier about uh, what Mr. Bill Winky has done and sleep at the base of the tree if you have to do anything. You know, take a canvas cutter, bedroll, or sleeping bag or something if you think you're going to fall into that kind of situation and just put it at the base of your tree. Don't sleep up in a tree. Honeycutt is dedicated, but like you said, definitely don't recommend it. So again, y'all, we just want to thank you for tuning into the Hunt Stand Podcast, and we'll see you on the next one.